Hello. Hey, Ash. How are you doing? Not too bad. How are you doing, Thomas? Excelente. Right. Um, excited about today, actually. Really excited. We've been um, pretty business, economic, etc. Today, a bit more lighthearted, gaming. Yeah, the biggest business of them all. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. We can, we, can, we can talk how we're going to have dirty loot boxes and gambling mechanics and you know, make more money than any other. Oh, geez, he's going to be ching. Yeah, absolutely. Bring it on, mate. No. Okay, before we um, talk about the hard cash involved in, in games, um, how about you tell me, like, what are the games that you're playing at the moment? What do you love about uh, them? And then I'll give you my, my spiel. I am a lifelong gamer, as you know. I'm obsessed with this industry and have been. Have been. I have. Uh, my mum was sending me photos of uh, things I'd written when I was nine about the games industry, uh, which is uh, very embarrassing. It's actually still the same quality of writing I do now, which is um, <laughs> more of a concern. I have some exciting news about uh, gaming recently. Mm -hmm. So, with the light of COVID and work from home and social distancing, uh, I have found more time to do some games mm -hmm. uh, that have, I think now in hindsight, been a bit of a reaction to the COVID situation. So, oh. and there's been, so I, I play mobile games occasionally, especially whilst commuting or traveling on planes, etc. That type of thing. I like my Nintendo Switch. I like PC games. But all of that fell by the wayside for Animal Crossing on the Switch, <laughs> where I think oh. I've been living out my virtual life that I'm not doing in real life. Like, I literally yeah. finish work and then go and start work again, chopping down trees and catching Fishing. bugs and cleaning up weeds. Exactly. Um, so that's been one. But the other one happened last night. I was mm -hmm. really awesome, and I, and I was a little unsure of it. I ended up playing Virtual Monopoly with um, three other people, actually people you know as well, mutual friends. Uh, mm -hmm. over, a, over a Zoom call uh, oh, and we wow. phones at the same time. And it was a two hours of absolute fun. It was amazing. Were they physical boards or how did it work? Like, did you physical board each side? We, no, so we, no, we literally, no, so sorry, we played on our phones. So we just had a Zoom call open in the background. Uh. And, and uh, so it was a chance to catch up, uh, yeah. have, a, have a beer. Uh, but also play on Android and iOS, uh, no plugs, but the Monopoly game, mm. which, which was really fun. And uh, I haven't played Monopoly for maybe a decade. And so we were all a little bit unsure and, uh, what this was going to be like, but um, it, was, it was awesome, really good fun. That's funny. That's uh, that's really interesting. I mean, there's like this board game, you know, going digital, mm -hmm. um, and then the Zoom calls. This all ties nicely to our last podcast, really. Mm -hmm. um, for that. I'm I'm uh, I'm living I'm living our values. How how so about you, yourself? Um, I um, have been playing three different types of games. So on my mobile, I play Gwent which yes. is a card game, like maybe people know Hearthstone, that kind of thing. But it comes of the Witcher universe, which I'm a mm -hmm. super uber nerd about. So mm -hmm. I, um, mm -hmm. I played those, those games in the PlayStation 4. 
Um, at the moment on the PlayStation, I'm playing Divinity Original Sin 2, mm. which is um, a super long game with kind of a multi-party role-playing approach mm-hmm. and um, very story-driven. And then uh, what else do I play? Yeah, those are the two major things that I play, Gwent and that one. Ah, yes, and then obviously on the Quest, so on my um, Oculus Quest, I love to play Pistol Whip at the moment. Makes me feel like one hell of a badass. Yeah, that is, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I, I, I'm just going to ask, on the, on the mm-hmm. Gwent thing, did you get into Gwent because of the books or the movies or because of Henry Cavill in the bathtub in the series? <laughs> um, the, I, one, the, the game, 100% the game. And mm. then I read the books, and then I watched the series, and uh, then the the game came out on on mobile because it'd been on PlayStation, but it was just not the right kind of fact form factor. Like you don't play a card game on the massive TV no. monitor. Um, so yeah, uh, now I'm playing it on the on the phone. I'm I'm not like I don't want to, I'm not like super avid gamer on that one because. I just not the, the time to play a full match sometimes. Also get frustrated because everybody's better than me. But um, I do enjoy it. I think it's, it's, a, it's a good game. Reminds me of the world, the universe that all of this took place in. And, and do you find in the last uh, few months gaming time has gone up or have you used it to relax a bit more or have you done it? You know, has your enjoyment of the multiplayer changed or is it has it kind of remained consistent? So interestingly, I um, I would have so I think the trend definitely is like more people are doing multiplayer games and they're meeting up in Fortnite and whatnot. For me, it actually was the reverse. I'd been playing um, Arizona Sunshine, which is a quest multiplayer game where mm. you can meet other people and fight zombies together, um, mm. and that's awesome. Like that was great. But I only played it before the <laughs> the, the crisis, and then. Um, then uh, on the PlayStation, I never really did have much multiplayer experiences and still don't. So yeah, I, I, for me, actually, I didn't. I mean, I, I was really curious about like Monopoly and playing that via Zoom because that reminds me of the old gaming nights, you know, when people would mm-hmm. invite, uh, if your friends did that, but my friends would have, yeah. like, it's where we just have board games and everybody sits around, has a beer, a chats and plays games. And yeah, it was yeah. great to uh, yeah, absolutely. And what was, so I think, you know, anyone listening knows that we're, we're geeks and we love games. Um, but actually a lot of the people, uh, well, actually all the other people I w- was playing Monopoly with yesterday uh, had told me and they're not gamers and mm. they wouldn't, they hadn't had that experience of any D and D events or board game nights, or they hadn't gone down that road in their past and actually only one of them recently within the last month bought a PlayStation because of the work from home and social distancing thing. And yet, despite not being gamers and not having a history of that, uh, they were the ones that suggested the Monopoly thing. And I think they they had as much fun from what they tell me as I, I did just playing it. So it was very interesting how non-gamers really do enjoy gaming. And then it got me talking to them about, well, that's probably why you actually all have, I bet, some games on your mobile phones, despite not being gamers, uh, and they all sort of nodded. Yes, they, you know, been they just, you know, in odd moments download things, uh, and then suddenly you can realise, well, maybe everybody, <laughs> maybe everybody's a gamer to some extent. Uh, and seventy percent <laughs> or something of the population plays games. I think it's just natural. I do think, though, 
that within that there are different uh, expressions of that like there are those micro moments to be filled where you play candy crush then there are more kind of mm. uh, social games like um i guess like uh like the monopoly game or even yeah um uh i th- i think animal crossing probably also fits into that uh, as, a, as a social game because you kind of have all these characters and you're building something and i don't know you've got islands and people visit you and whatnot yes that's true i need some people to visit my animal cross island I've heard it's a pretty uh, pretty limited experience, though. Apparently, there's not much you can do apart from steal each other's fish or something. Yes, so, all you can do is turn up to my island. Please don't engage me, but just leave a lot of stuff and make sure I'm wealthier by the time you leave my island. There's no chatting, right? There's no uh, no conversation allowed either. Uh, I don't. I thought there might be something you can you can. There seems to be a menu where I can type in and select letters and form words and things, but I don't know. I haven't tried it with other people coming to the island. Yeah, so. Okay. Uh, I think you can draw a sign or something that says something. I don't know if you can. Maybe you can chat chat. I don't know. I thought it was they, they had some limitations of that too. So they don't have to moderate the whole world, right? Well, yes. And, it, and in some cases, I mean, Animal Crossing got banned in China recently uh, because oh, really? people were... were um, talking about the Hong Kong uh, protests oh. um, by creating signs on the ground in Animal Crossing. Um, I saw that, yes. Yeah, so, um, people find a way. Uh, but, but I think that'll get patched out or, or changed or perhaps even moderated. So Animal Crossing is quite big in China. Uh, mm-hmm. pre-installment. So, I, yeah. you know, that aside, I, I, am, I have really been enjoying gaming to... To, to actually relax more. I used to be it was even for, for more pleasure, uh, but now I'm, I'm fine I'm doing it to relax. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm gaming in a different way uh, when I'm just gaming sort of solo playing, which I found was yeah. interesting. Yeah. For me, it's always narrative-driven. Like, it's all, like I, uh, I've got friends who kind of play games to show skill or to maximize the power of the character. For me, it's more like, an alternative, a more engaging way of hearing a story. So, um, like, I'll watch a movie or watch a TV series, but um, I really like when uh, when a game has a great story. And that was the thing with The Witcher Three; it's really the story, the characters, the aesthetics of it, yeah. um, of that game. And then, um, even with uh, Divinity: Original Sin Two, the writing is amazing, uh, and it's all narrated. So. Um, it's it's strange. Like I'll, I'll sometimes be like, all oh, this puzzle is too hard, or I can't figure out this enemy, and I'll just like read it up online and and kind of get through it just so I can hear the rest of the story. It's not so much about succeeding in, in any other ways. So I'm very much a story driven person, which I think is not the majority in Western countries. Like you've got more of a I don't know battlefield and um, uh, and the shoot 'em ups. Basically, those are like super popular with. Um, with people which are like there's always a story but it's really not that important it's about like getting that kill in and killing spree or whatever it is yeah i think maybe there's it could be a product of when you grow up in gaming as well i i think uh in the very origins of gaming it, it, it was focused on beating scores um because of the limitations of of the, the, the medium uh but it was quite a pure form then as soon as the medium developed and matured it became about telling these visual stories and these simple stories 
And then suddenly it became a, a sort of a high art form of really complex narratives. Mm-hmm. And if you grew up through that, I guess you, you pick your sort of main, the thing that attaches you to gaming. Uh, so those original people just love running from left to right in a Mario level or, you know, getting a high score in a, in some sort of Tetris game. Uh, but then there are a group of people who grew up with, uh, you know, proper strategy games and more complex type of PC gaming, uh, which then also had some clever stories and some interesting firsts that came out before even the movie industry that happened in gaming. Um, and I think if recently, in recent years, you might be one of those, you know, if you were lucky enough to be born and play a lot of games in the last 15 years, or 10 years, or even five years, you know, you might be in that stream of uh, competitive shooter type that you mentioned, mm. or you might be in that stream of like the last of us, really emotional storytelling, uh, the walking dead sort of very emotional involved. Oh, I love that one. Tell yeah, too, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Right. Um, and I think you kind of whatever you can see just by generations what you what you're born into how you how you hit gaming uh, might might be how it sort of becomes your main. Um, I mean, what so, I find fascinating is um, yeah, I think that's that's very true. Is like you, you kind of I don't know. I think it's a personality thing to a certain extent. Also, yeah. like do you, what kind of personality you have? I mean, they say in Japan, role playing games are the one kind of category that just supersedes all others like the shooting games are a distant second so they they really love their role-playing games the jrpg and all that um one thing i wanted to kind of get to is monetization and i think uh the witcher is a really interesting example where um you know they had some dlc content which you could buy that was Mm -hmm. that was pretty meaty i think at two or something but then they also mm-hmm. brought a lot of free stuff, free DLC, and everybody was like super happy that CD Projekt Red was doing that mm-hmm. because um, there had obviously been examples from EA and others where they were just eking out every penny they could from their fan base, and it felt exploitative. So I think um, I think it would be interesting if we could just like talk about the the different monetization models that there are. I mean, um, I can take two or three, and then uh, I'm sure you've sure. got quite a few ideas. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Go yeah. It. I think, um, so starting with Witcher, that's basically you you pay up front for the game. and The game has everything included, and there'll be some updates as a, for free. And it's kind of the most traditional way of, of selling a game. And um, the amazing thing for Witcher was that it was super profitable in the end and had like huge turnover because... It came out at a time when everybody was saying, hey, we need to actually switch to other ways of monetizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another interesting one was Telltale, um, who basically told a story in chapters. So you would um, kind of you know, do the, the Walking Dead uh, first couple of episodes and then another couple of episodes. And so you would basically buy over and over again. Um, for me, I, I basically treated this and, and waited until it came bundled and bought it then as one mm-hmm. game. So for me, that didn't work for me um, because I just didn't like the, the idea of paying to continue a story. I wanted the full story. And then you, like, you, like, you like to binge. I like to binge, yeah. I don't like to have to think, oh, do I want <laughs> to play the next piece? Um, the last one that I would cover is these card game things. Mm-hmm. Those are really interesting because I think they're just like money-making engines, Hearthstone as well as uh, Gwent. Like there's constantly some kind of way of 
upgrading the cards that you have, the visuals, uh, going through some kind of progression system, and everywhere there's always like, hey, do you want to spend this much? Do you want to spend that much for extra coins or gems or whatever it is? And they just find ways to, you know, you can play the game, but you just ache up against uh, many, many ways in which you could spend money uh, to, to improve or change your experience. Uh, so those are kind of the three that I would talk, uh, two that I would talk about, or three I would talk about. And then I'm, I'm keen to hear your thing about loot boxes and, um, and what you were talking about there. Yeah, I, I, I see the, uh, I, I sort of have, have been tracking a, a list of, of business models for, for gaming mm-hmm. for a while. And I just, prior to this, I just had a quick uh, just refresh of it. And the, the one thing that's quite interesting is that there's a little bit of a uh, full circle thing here. So, so I, I sort of vaguely remember when I looked at this sort of uh, document that I used to buy shareware games, which were essentially free. And then mm-hmm. you play a bit and... Then if you like ah, it, you pay. Time limitation, to, right? Or, or just the content. Yeah, time or content. Like they give mm-hmm. you a third of the game or something. For oh, free. Yeah. I think that's literally how I got into Doom um, and Wolfenstein 3D and things like that. Uh, you know, I remember because I was young, but they were they were pretty much free uh, or free mm-hmm. with something or, you know, even free with magazines eventually. Uh, so it was a bit like a mobile app now, which is most of the games are free. You play it for a bit and then... I thought, oh, interesting. If you like it, you, you pay for uh, you pay for the rest of the experience. The difference being, uh, I think, where the in-app purchase world took over for mobile gaming is you. They, they, there's sort of four ways you can actually pay for something. You know, you pay for content, which is what you used to do back in the shareware days, or downloadable content for the add-ons to The Witcher. The second way is you can pay for progression, which is obviously where a lot of people call out, um, well, you know, pay to win mechanics. I think mm-hmm. there's a third way you can sort of pay to um, personalize uh, your experience um, and, and poss- possibly that's quite popular as a sort of a, an, an add-on to most most games to sort of pay just to look make things look different and in the idea it's not supposed to change the the fairness of the games, um, mm-hmm. uh, but then you can also sort of pay to to, to uh, I guess get something that others don't, or to get new ways to socially interact with people. Um, uh, sort of a you know the idea that you want to either be a killer, pay to win, achiever, you want to pay to progress, or more content you want to pay to explore, or you want to uh, pay to socialize more, pay to have sort of layers unlocked in the game that allow you to have more people in the game with you or have select people in the game with you or, like I said, make things look unique. And so suddenly like you those, have... Um, yeah, those categories. Yeah. Should we try and apply a couple of games to each one well, of them? So you said the first one was killers, right? Um, play to progress could, or play to win? A play, that would be like a play, a play to win. So you want to pay to... To, to be the best in in the game right mm-hmm. so um, this this is where you know, you know you pay to win I think this has been uh, in the past where you have some original Medal of Honor games or call of duty games mm-hmm. where potentially you could uh, sometimes even cheat 
just to get weapons and things that other people uh, don't have. I don't think that's a, an entirely popular thing to do anymore. Not even because yeah, there's been a would... backlash, right? It, there's well, been a pretty it, big backlash, and uh, they've had yeah. to. Oh wait a minute, was it um, uh, Mordor? I think that was a big one that had a huge backlash, where they actually had to redesign the game, where they had like um, oh, Shadow of Mordor, uh, which there was a first one out, was he set in the Lord of Rings world, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, then they brought a second one out, and the mechanics were so play to win set up, uh, even against the computer, like it wasn't even a multiplayer game. Um, and uh, they were like, you know, you've sold us this broken experience and they had to backstep and re, uh, re- give it all away for free, basically, and, and really mm-hmm. change the model. I mean, the damage was done. It, the, they had pretty bad press because yes. of it. But um, that was a really interesting example of, of them trying to switch back. Yeah. Uh, and I also think the other side of that is that the number of people who actually want to to be and pay to win, um, I think it's actually quite low, uh, partly because there's very there's a temporary satisfaction, like cheat, like using cheat codes in GTA. Um, you know, it's really, really fun for a very short period of time. And uh, you can keep coming back to it, but but once you can win and know you can win easily the story falls by the wayside the challenge falls by the wayside and i think even the people who do pay to win drop off the game a bit quicker um i don't know um so the the, what just came to mind is mm -hmm. things like clash of clans the these mobile games where you build your cities and you build your armies (laughs) and then you fight against other humans and losing against other people is very unsatisfying. <laughs> and if you can kind of, you know, get your, your mom's credit card and buy yourself some extra warriors and some extra towers or whatever it is, I pretty much. Uh, I think that's quite enticing. And you kind of get into the spiral of just like paying more and more just so you can beat <laughs> somebody else out there. Uh, okay, I'll take it back. Actually, there there is a certain, certain group of people who I, I know would... In automatic satisfaction, no matter what game it was, if they could just, uh, <laughs> uh, they they could win. Uh, but I'd I'd like to think that that's um, still relatively unattractive for. Mm. Uh, well, it's for, unattractive for newcomers, right? Because they say, "Wait a minute! In order to beat, I have to put out all this cash." Mm-hmm. And <laughs> if they get beat, and they go like, "Well, well I'm not going to spend all that money just to get on par with other people." then you know, the, their user base is going to diminish. They'll basically um, yeah. come into the game and they'll drop off pretty quickly when they see what the mechanics are. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think that's where maybe the other, other unpopular one on the... Uh, even maybe going away is a bit on the sort of paying to, uh, you know, let's say, uh, achieve something as well. Um, you know, you talked at the very start about there are a group of people, and I'm actually a bit like this in some games. You want to min-max everything. Um, mm. Want to, you know, I, I, I like The Witcher Three because the side quests were really good. However, there are some big sprawling games where I feel like I need to do all those damn side quests, and they're really they're not that good. And mm. I find it very hard to sort of cut the game and say no. Actually, I'm just going to mainline this. So. In those situations, would I would I pay to 
to uh, explore and have it all done and pay for new new territories and or pay to achieve a certain level in a game and, and jump. You know, I can see the temptation, but again, it would it would be a little bit unfair and maybe ruin the experience for me um, from maybe what the pure pure version of the game should have been. Um, but you know, I quite like I quite like the idea of actually having a more fair system of the sort of paying to create something or paying for some downloadable content uh, rather yeah. than just the, the DLC. As long as the DLCs are meaty and they're not like, oh, here's an extra hat or, you know, here's a tiny extra level and you kind of have to kind of pay for all those yeah. things. I think we're, we're still kind of centering around the CD Projekt Red thing where, where they've done everything right in terms of, providing free DLCs of smaller improvements so that people either keep coming back or that new players come in and say, hey, wait a minute, I didn't want to buy it before, but now I get all this free additional stuff yeah. and they're in. Um, and then you, you also have the, the meatier ones that people pay for, which aren't fully new games, um, but just <clears throat> allow uh, players to, to come back into the universe who already have it. So you're basically selling to your existing base uh, with those um, those meaty DLCs, yeah, and so really you want to pay to to explore more in a universe, which mm. works when I think you've got a really good universe to build in, or you've just got a very addictive play loop, um, the Candy mm. Crush style, um, I, I, which can keep you coming back to something, and maybe that's where CD Projekt Red they they're very you know that. I think they've they've kept it what we would, as you said, a traditional model. But they've also produced some really solid games, and you know, Cyberpunk is going to be pretty awesome as well. I bet coming out, you know, and it's going to get a lot of a lot of attention. But suddenly, if they produced a stinker, what happened? Um, mm. it's, a, it's still a risk-driven industry, and I think that's the challenge with with when people say, well, loot boxes and in-app purchases and uh, gambling mechanics uh, are, are, are a bad thing, I, I, my personal view is that they are. But you have to look at the companies that are running them. They are extremely successful, the 1% one, the, the 1 of those companies that poured it off. You know, King's mm. a $2 billion a year business. Um, you know, Activision bought that for a very good reason. The, they... You know, you can't, um, you know, that's obviously a lot of players that we can't just overlook. Uh, you know, they might not be the Witcher 3 type players or the Cyberpunk players, or mm -hmm. they might be, um, but it's still a, you know, we may not say all those in-app purchases and, and buying things just to keep progressing or buying lives in a game is the best way to, to, you know, may not seem the best way to spend money on gaming, but a lot of people do. And obviously a lot of people are taking some enjoyment or pleasure from that. To, yeah. to keep keep doing. This it. is micro microtransactions. Yeah. Uh, that that work really well there, where you kind of get somebody to pay like a dollar here, dollar there, over and over again, and that just aggregates it, up, accumulates. Yeah, and I think um, how it's implemented does the key. But you know, so you know, Candy Crush and all you know, King Games, you can't pay to win, for example. Uh, uh, so they're in-app purchases, they're microtransactions, a bit of advertising. Uh, but what a lot of these games do is they have their sort of virtual currencies um, mm. or some sort of pay, pay to progress, pay to get a bit more, pay to 
have access to a new set of levels or uh, if you like visual content as opposed to massive any gameplay um, content and and maybe that's uh, maybe that's the safer end of the microtransaction world and then you get the egregious opposite opposite end or the more extreme of you know pay for <laughs> pay it's just to keep the app open you've got to pay pay money um, and I personally think we've seen so much in the in the public eye and as awareness particularly for for parents who are non-gamers as their aware, awareness increases i think we will you know we'll see that dis- disappear uh, yeah because it becomes exploitative right you know you basically in some ways like you can become exploitative um I think one way is like, right, we want to finance our developers so that we can create more content. That's a good narrative. The other narrative is we're going to get people addicted. We're going to get people kind of, you know, coming back for more and we're going to rinse them for it. <laughs> it's like those two, yeah. uh, two narratives that do the same thing, but um, as in you pay your money. But one is coming out of a kind of value exchange perspective and the other one mm. is coming from a sort of addiction perspective yeah absolutely and that's the that's the problem is when i i think the companies like i said they can they can get one or two things wrong and they could be wrong when they do it you know they they say something wrong inappropriate they um they essentially do they go too far with the price gouging you know they're pushing the boundaries that can then stick with them for a long time that 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 tarnished reputation uh, the gaming world is particularly vitriolic, I think, from a sort of feedback perspective. It's quite a, a vocal group of a global community. Um, and because it's a largely internet-based thing, if, if someone's unhappy with EA or Activision from their monetization strategy, then suddenly the whole world knows about it very quickly. Yeah. Takes uh, one good meme and you're... you're and you're in history. But all of um, it, it's got some, some, some mm-hmm. value that's... That there's another way to, to perceive it, which is, and I don't like the term, but these, I, I really don't like the term, but these live services, these ongoing games that do have microtransactions and you know, actually started a long time ago, even pre-World uh, of Warcraft, uh, that they, they do actually, if done right, encourage games companies to, to have to keep investing in their player base, to keep investing in new content, fresh ideas, uh, essentially keeping worlds that players might really love and enjoy, keeping them going. Whilst if does, it's um, one and done... Does anything come to mind uh, that, that would fit that criteria? Uh, there are some games... I, well, I think World of Warcraft is definitely one. That's uh, Guild Wars mm-hmm. uh, is another one. I think, yeah. uh, you know, there's some... There are niche communities like Mech Warrior Online. Uh, even Gwent, to be, to be fair, is probably in that that space of it's a live service it's you know if if people were not continuing to do microtransactions and spend more money in those type of games like hearthstone as well um they're probably going they would probably go away uh so they you know it's a way of keeping things that maybe people and gamers really enjoy going if done with the right uh i guess company behavior so um, how about we cast our eye into the future and have a look at 
we'll have a prediction crystal ball wise um Love it. what's going to happen with the gaming industry uh maybe gaming industry or games or whatever it is let me yeah you you can go ahead and uh, make a prediction i've got some thoughts that i haven't well articulated yet but i'll, I'll give it a go in a bit so i, I i've got a, a few different areas i think from a a monetization perspective i do think um there'll be you know if we look at t a 10 20 year horizon i think absolutely there'll be strict regulation and, and legislation in place that puts black and white boundaries around what's an acceptable way to charge money for certain things versus others so i think we'll we'll see a formalization a regulation of of what is has been and will continue to be for 10 years the most lucrative part of the gaming industry and the, and the growth part of the games industry from a, from a monetization point of view. Uh, so I think it's that regulation legislation, which also means I do think that um, that in-game purchasing uh, will still be here and will be prominent. There probably won't be any paid for games uh, in that time. We'll, we'll have probably switched to the Netflix service model, you know, whatever the next version of Stadia will be or Amazon's, version uh within the next two years will be uh mm -hmm. will will probably shift to that or you can eat gaming model because there are a huge number of games uh we'll probably have no consoles at that stage uh we'll probably have virtual um control control devices to, to go along with our, our augmented reality gaming experiences as well um so as in there'll be various types of controllers at the moment, it's you know your phone's a great thing for playing card games on. It's really bad for playing uh, PUBG on, uh, I find. So it would be really amazing to have. I don't want to carry a controller with me everywhere, but I could see uh, what with the hand tracking technology that comes through uh, AR VR, that probably being opened up to the wider gaming uh, gaming space. Uh, but I, I also think gaming yeah. will be democratized just finally on it I, I think it's already gone that way indie studios produce wonderful incredible experiences uh you know like anybody now can make a movie uh anybody now can make a song uh we we are you know games are very 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 difficult to produce but that barrier to production is is really tumbling at a fast rate uh, and i think within 10 15 years i mean it, it'll be quite common for, i think for people to be able to produce games on their own and it'll be a more frequent regular social norm thing to do yeah i think you've uh, you've definitely touched on a lot of the the big trends and um that, that's great like um like uh, i think you mentioned like you know ar vr gaming the console the console going away and kind of being abstracted mm. uh the controller changes that that's already interesting i was um I was thinking about like, what if gaming itself becomes abstracted as a concept? So gaming is there to give you a certain emotion. It's there to either give you excitement, mm -hmm. achievement, sort of the things that you may not get in your everyday uh, life <laughs> when, when you're kind of going to work. And so it's I, I really... Um, what Thomas here is saying, folks, mm. this, this is uh, his self-help podcast time. Uh, <laughs> Exactly. Actually, we've got some, we've got to explore some deeper issues here. No. Please go on. <laughs> yeah, this is going to overrun by an hour. <laughs> in that case, um, 
But yeah, if we abstract gaming and look at what it's there to do, then it's there to elicit certain feelings of achievement or excitement or, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever it is, connection sometimes. And so games could take on very, very different forms that we can't even conceive today that are nearly kind of uh, sort of chemically chemical based right it's it's near like oh, i'm loving this. taking an excitement drug or something oh, i'm loving like, this <laughs> uh, where basically your game is like maybe a simulated mental state give me the of, pill of like exactly you take a pill for excitement or something i want i don't the want to play crossing i just want to take a pill for every day that would support. yeah <laughs> do you know what? you don't have to catch that fish anymore you get that sense of yeah. of peacefulness or of productivity or whatever it is that you're oh, getting from yeah. animal crossing your drugged future the other sounds amazing <laughs> the other thing I'm, I'm i was just thinking of is uh, and it comes a little bit to what yuval harari always warns us of is when machines know you better than you know yourself like what if a game knows you very well mm-hmm. and customizes the gaming experience to the extent that it challenges you just the right amount, gives you just the right amount amount of, uh, of difficulty, mm. and then to elicit the right level of feeling of achievement, that it speaks to you in, in your fantasies. So that, you know, for example, if you are somebody who loves cutesy animals, that's how they're going to be presented. But if you're like me and you hate cutesy animals, <laughs> then they're going to appear as what, magical <laughs> creatures. So I think like AI could really shape gaming further, it is, uh, especially sure. AI that knows you. So those are the two kind of I, slightly out but there I, ideas. I think actually the, the drug one is, uh, I mean, just hook me up to that for everything in my life. That, <laughs> that's a, you know, I, I don't mind being a, a vat in a jar if, uh, <laughs> if that's how it's going to be. I think the AI... If you get the sprinkles. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. It's given to me. Uh, I think the AI is there at the start. So I, I know these these games companies that when, when, when I've uh, spoken to them uh, and you hear them do their talks as well, they, they sort mm-hmm. of announce that we are using AI to get player progression in check so that everybody can have a slightly bespoke experience. It's just very nascent. As you as you point out, mm-hmm. right? It's you know, what if it what if the AI could suddenly shape something in an augmented world for you, um, and and you know, Ready Player One, your life, I suppose. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's absolutely, uh, I think, uh, the future. I question whether we're even going to get there in in ten or twenty years, to be honest, because I, I think what we'll get to first is the AI which will get used for the monetization strategies to keep you just hooked enough in a game. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I yeah. think we'll have to go through that painful period first. <laughs> um, sure. but, but I think ultimately, yes, we'll get to that, that end result where you know, there's a bunch of gaming experience that you know, if you took away the human creation side of it and left it to a machine who just had the requirements being you as an individual, Thomas, I wonder what that would create. I mean, I couldn't have even predicted Fortnite was a game or, or Minecraft being what it was, but let alone predict what a machine knowing so much about me could produce. That's fascinating. So the interesting thing then becomes, and this may be where the, there's a weakness in, in those predictions, is like, what, if, uh, what about the social aspects in games? So uh, an AI that does your bidding to create a world or a game that is just mm. right for you, Basically, you couldn't have 
other humans in that gaming world. Like if you had multiplayer, for example, because they would behave in the way that you want them to behave. You know, it's like if somebody in World of Warcraft comes across and is called Bunny Hopper 3 or something, that destroys the immersion that you may be really into for World of Warcraft, where you want, you know, Orc, the uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Slayer or something instead. And so it becomes interesting where people, where gaming maybe then doesn't become social, but the opposite. Game and I'm not, game I'm, I'm just saying it. I'm not, sure. I don't think that's going to be the case, but there, there's definitely a thing of, of like, how do you match the two? I think you'll find that that um, that the social aspect of gaming will grow more and more and more. And I think actually that might be perceived as uh, a good thing to have colliding, conflicting, or different uh, created personalized worlds coming together in gaming or characters come together. Because that's part of the challenge of gaming that I think people like. You know, people are playing World of Warcraft some people go full in on the the fantasy. You know, I played Half Life. I thought I was Gordon Freeman. Uh, I wanted to be Gordon Freeman. Um, I wouldn't have minded though if someone came in, yeah, Bunny Hopper seventy three or whatever it would be, and it wouldn't ruin it for me because I'm still in the game. Uh, and actually, mm. it just poses a challenge of you know, okay, how do I reconcile this in my world? And actually, I, I think that social bit of gaming is is littered with. I think people have p- grow up on games like that now, where it's basically an in, an inconsistency in <laughs> the world, maybe because of the other players. So I, I think mm. that would actually be quite an acceptable thing uh, if if if, the, if an AI was creating a perfect world for you. I think actually part of that is creating a perfect world for you that that has other humans socializing with you in it. Uh, which is why I think it's a long way off. Yeah. Right. On that note, should we call it a call it a day and um, shake yeah. hands virtually? I've got to get back to uh, cleaning up some weeds. I've got some house people inspecting my animal my animal crossing house tomorrow, and I. Need to get <laughs> I was. I, was just, I didn't get that first. I was like, well, since when are you doing gardening? Now I get it. <laughs> got it. To get my. All right. Well, you enjoy your children's game. I'm Thanks. going to. Um... <laughs> you enjoyed uh, dreaming your Henry Cavill and playing. <laughs> Quint. Quint Damn it. That was a good comeback. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you, man. Bye bye.